Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Up in the sky, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman! And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Superman. A strange visitor from a distant planet. Champion of the oppressed. Physical marvel extraordinary who has sworn to devote his existence on Earth to helping those in need. Yes, it's Superman. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. We have a special show today because we are once again sharing the mic with our Back to the Bins Brothers. We have, on my right, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and on my left, we have Paul Spataro. How are you doing? <laughs> and in the basement, we have Brian Hughes. I'm right here, okay? <laughs> Hi, how's it going? Sitting on the water heater. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a, this is going to be part two of a crossover we're doing with Back to the Bins, so... Uh, Brian, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you explain to the lovely folks at home what we're going to be covering. Well, first things first. If you have not listened to the most recent episode of Back to the Bins, stop right now, go and listen to that one, and then come back here. Because this is part of a four-issue crossover story between Superman and the Legion of Superheroes. And, and Superboy and multiple Lana Langs and... There might actually have been a nip slip in the last one, so you probably want to go back and check that out. (laughs) Okay, now, if you're back and you're ready to go, we're going to be covering Superman Volume 2, Number 8. Now, this one, of course, uh, had a cover date of August 1987. The on-sale date was May 12, 1987. So this actually predates Superman 4 by a few months. And I think that's significant for for a couple reasons, and I'll talk about those later. But uh, just wanted to bring that up. The cover price was 75 cents, page count was 32. The story, of course, is Future Shock, written and penciled by John Byrne, inked by Carl Kessel, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Thomas J. Zucco, and edited by Andy Helfer. Uh, this, of course, was reprinted in Superman the Man of Steel, Volume 4. And a synopsis goes briefly, as opposed to Scott, like this. <clears throat> Clark has volunteered to help Lana Lang put up a fence at her home. And he gets her job done in no time, ripping out a tree from the ground much easier than, say, Colossus would. Thanks to his uh, strength, super speed, and heat vision, he's able to construct her fence. Martha and Jonathan come up with a picnic basket, and the four have lunch together. This picnic basket also includes Ma Kent's famous rhubarb pie. 
Suddenly, Superman perceives a disturbance at the nearby limestone rock quarry and flies off to investigate. Upon arriving, he finds four superheroes from the future known as Brainiac 5, Sunboy, Invisible Kid, and Block. Superman's powers all of a sudden go out of control and he begins firing heat vision at this legion of superheroes. Legion, meanwhile, believes that Superman is actually Superboy, a time-traveling hero that has teamed up with them in the 30th century. Gee, who hadn't heard of him? Everybody gets into a big fight, but before, before long, cooler heads prevail, and Brainiac 5 attempts to explain his presence in, the, in this era. Originally, they tried to use the Time Trapper's time bubble to travel backwards in time to Superboy's native era. However, they wound up in this strange pocket dimension instead. Superboy turned out to be a traitor and tried to kill them. Other members of the Legion of Superheroes escaped and tried to return through the time stream. However, they ended up here in this parallel universe. Superman tries to explain to them that in this reality, he never became Superboy, and he has no idea who the Legion of Superheroes even are. At that moment, Superboy appears above them and threatens to kill them all. Right off the bat, I like Superboy's face. He looks like a boy. He looks yeah. like a teenager. Yes. You just get the one shot of him, though. Yeah. But before we get to that, though, I think we have to take a moment and talk about the cover. Yes, we do. Because this is probably, uh, out of many of the issues, with the exception of the first issue of Man of Steel, probably the most famous cover of all the issues of, of Superman that Byrne had done, simply because... Do you know why? Because he's reused his pose many times. <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely yeah. been the, one of the most aped comic book covers of all time, that's for sure, and that's mostly his fault. Uh, if you no. go back and look at uh, Fantastic Four issue 249, you mm -hmm. will see the Fantastic Four uh, all strewn about the page in similar poses that you might see here being held aloft by Gladiator of the Imperial uh, the Imperial Guard of the Shi'ar. Now, of course, what that means, of course, is Gladiator is basically an ersatz version of Superboy, as uh, yes. Claremont and Cochran had done with the, the Imperial Guard. They were a knockoff of the Legion of Superheroes. And so you see amongst uh, Superman, these four characters, and I'm having to pull that up real quick because I don't have it in front of me. And uh, you see these four characters um, that the Superman is, has got Block aloft, which Block, of course, is the the brick, the thing. You've got Sunboy, who, of course, has flame powers, much like the Human Torch. You have Invisible Kid, which, you know, is an obvious thing for the Invisible Woman. And, of course, Brainiac 5, who is the brain, much like Mr. Fantastic. And I'm going to take just a moment to say to this to Michael Bailey. Ha, ha. Because five years ago, I was able to point this out to him on his show. And he had no clue that he glossed right over it without even seeing it. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I got to him on a with an email. E email. Man, I don't remember the last time I wrote one of those. But yeah, I love this cover. And again, it's, it's one of the most famous covers uh, on there. Did you guys figure I, that out when you first saw it? Yeah, I, I, I've always been a big fan of this cover because I discovered John Byrne 
personally um, with Fantastic Four, which I know is always odd to people because most everybody else discovered him with Uncanny X-Men. I was never an X-Men fan. It was it just wasn't on my radar. Um, but when he first I actually first doing... noticed him in Champions, but that's just me. Oh. <laughs> wow, it's a good book too. Yep. Um, but yeah, as soon as he started doing FF, um, something something about his artwork just just grabbed me, and uh, and I started buying FF right off the stands. And my favorite single issue of his FF run is two forty nine, and it's entirely because. Um, it's essentially Superman or Superboy, if you want, versus the Fantastic Four. Now, I know it's Gladiator, but Gladiator, as you say, um, is a thinly veiled uh, Marvel copy of Superboy. And the reason for that is that uh, Cochran, uh, Dave Cochran, is uh, as a huge Legion of Superheroes fan. He was actually fresh off of... Uh, a run as artist of Legion of Superheroes when he switched over to Marvel and uh, and started working on the X Men. Um, so you know when the uh, when it came time to create uh, the Imperial Guard. Oh, I love that! Yeah, Paul's showing us uh, his uh, Gladiator action figure. That is cool. Yeah, Gladi- oh, Gladiator is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Well, I, I, so uh, I he missed it. To the, uh, I'll come back. Hold on. Sorry to interrupt you, Scott. Well, Cochran brought, uh, didn't he bring Nightcrawler over from, wasn't that a character that was going to uh, be yeah, a Legion? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Nightcrawler was in, originally intended by Cochran to be a Legionnaire, um, but when he didn't get, uh, when he wasn't able to introduce the character in time before he left, he just brought the character with him, and eventually he wound up in the X-Men. But yes, yeah. Nightcrawler, um, pretty much the same look, same costume, everything. He would have been a Legionnaire, and... I want to say Storm, too. I think, I yeah, think? I was going to say, I think there's one other, and I think it was Storm, but it could have been Colossus. Hmm. Yeah. But, yeah, I always thought that was really cool. But, I mean, if you ever look, especially at the earliest, uh, their earliest appearances on, in Uncanny X-Men, if you ever get a good look at the Imperial Guard, um, it's so obvious that they are just the Marvel analog of the Legion of Superheroes. But... Again, it's it was done in a cool. It was done, you know, not to rip them off, not in a malicious way, not to poke fun at them. It was totally an homage because he loves those characters or or loved those characters, and I always thought that was really cool. And so for that reason alone, I've always had a fondness for the Imperial Guard. But I outright love Gladiator. He is one of my absolute favorite Marvel characters. Um, potentially if you were reading X Men Elsewhere right now, you'd be getting your fair share. Of gladiator i'm, I'm gonna that. have to uh, yeah now that you've told me he's in there i'm gonna have to check that out because i yeah i do i really love that character and i i really believe wholeheartedly that he is very likely the most powerful character in the marvel universe and i i think that's pretty cool so you know that that's one always been one of those fan dreams of mine is to see um certain dc characters operate well both ways you know to see certain dc characters get to operate you know play in the marvel universe for a while but also certain marvel universe ones get to play in the dc universe for a while and and here's that opportunity to see basically Superboy, uh in the marvel universe uh, i i always i like that idea so i mean i'm definitely gonna have to check that out uh I, I really dig that character but yeah right because i was such a fan of that story and was you know very uh, very much aware of the cover you know on FF two forty nine and everything. As soon as this came out, um, you know Superman volume two number eight, and I saw that cover. Not only did I get that it was an homage, 
but I was tickled with the characters because I could tell he purposely used characters that would be kind of, you know, power wise or, or appearance wise would be kind of analogs to the Fantastic Four. I thought that was brilliant. So I'm funny. I'm re- find it funny that Mike missed that. That's that's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I like rubbing his face in the, in the mud every time that, that comes up. It's just, <laughs> uh, just one of those things, you know, between me and him. <laughs> but it was it was fun. He he actually uh, acts like he forgot that it was me that pointed it out to him. So I don't remember who it was. Somebody wrote me about that, you know. <laughs> but uh, no, it's now what I don't understand. I don't understand why this, to my knowledge anyway, has never been a poster or a T-shirt. Why? Why? This is a beautiful piece of art. I love this. Uh, I just think it's it's really great. I love how Superman looks uh, on this cover. And yeah, you're right. This has been homaged a, a lot of times. There's actually a, a, a website I found while I was digging around that uh, that has, I don't know if it has every one of them, but it has a, a whole list of uh, different uh comics you know titles and companies that have homaged this cover over the years but i think my favorite one i've ever seen i i think it's just a uh uh what do you call it a commission i don't think it was ever actually used anywhere but bob layton did an homage to this where it's the cover of uh of like classic iron man like from the you know late 70s early 80s and it's iron man standing there and all of the bodies around him and the one that he's holding up are all other Iron Man armor. So like the, the one cool. he's holding directly over his head is his classic clunky Mark original one. gray armor. Yeah. And then I forget what the other ones are that are all around him, but they're other armors. So it's it's basically cool. all Iron Man, but it's I'm, an homage see, to this and it's really cool. And I'd like to see a version of that where he's holding up like uh, the Crimson Dynamo above him and Titanium Man's off to one side and the uh, you know other various ones. Even maybe the porcupine is laying over on the ground or something. <laughs> I always yeah. thought it'd be neat to do an homage of this um, where it's still Superman in the center, mm-hmm. but then all the other bodies around him are Superman knockoffs from other companies. Yeah. So you have like, say, like Supreme and Gladiator and... Uh, Hyperion and you know some of these other maybe Captain Marvel or something you know just I, I thought that would be really good. Century. Century. Yeah, yeah. The century. The century is yeah. He's a knockoff of something. Um. <laughs> I got well, a I never noticed I never noticed the swashbuckler boots on on block before. I don't think they were drawn that way in the previous issue. I think they were drawn more like bands. Hmm. I don't know. My question is... Now I'm going to have to flip back to check. (laughs) The interior is, why does Clark have his shirt off? It's not like he's sweating. Is that just for Lana? He doesn't want to rip the shirt. He doesn't want to rip the shirt. Oh, is that it? Okay. Why is he wearing a a belt buckle with his initials on it? Calvin Klein, come on. (laughs) Oh, please. (laughs) His mother did that for him so he he won't lose his pants. My other other question is, he's, 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 he's pulling this tree up and he cuts it into posts. He's putting up a fence for Lana. And if he doesn't pressure treat those posts, those are going to rot in no time. <laughs> yeah, I thought of that yeah. too. <laughs> you know, and something else that's that's really funny is looking at the trade paperback. When you look at that first page of him pulling that tree out, the um, you, you see the white lines that, that go up and down. They got the little cross hatching on them. That actually looks like it spells out hell. 
for some yeah. reason. It, yeah. it it doesn't make any sense why that would be there or what for. But that just must be motion lines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. doesn't like motion lines. It almost looks like he took his electric eraser to it to to make those. You know, like how you make sunlight come through the yeah. plants and stuff or clouds. Yeah. What is you guys' opinion of Carl Kessel as the inker? Sometimes I really like his inking. Uh, I, I mean, I would put it up there almost with Terry Austin. But there's this thing that he does um, with the the lower lip. And that's what always stands out. That's when you can sit there and look at it and goes, okay, yeah, this is Carl Kessel. Um, that he does, it kind of annoys me from time to time. But again, his his inking is so crisp and clear. It's a good line. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd compare it, you know, on par with, with Terry Austin when Byrne was on X-Men, almost. Yeah, I agree with that. It's, it's pretty It's pretty good. He is my favorite Byrne inker. Um, he, uh, you know, uh, definitely for this title, probably of all time. I was trying to think, do I really want to say that? Because, I mean, I really like Terry Austin as well, but no, I, I really think he is. I, I've always... Uh, liked his work over burn and uh, especially this issue this there's just something about the art in this issue it's it's flawless to me i really really like the combination of uh, of burn and kessel here i i think he uh was uh, a perfect match for him on this particular character and uh i was really lucky um back in uh, in 88 I actually got to uh, meet Kessel at a convention. I forget where it was exactly. It might have been an Ithacon or something, and got him to sign this issue for me. So that's that's cool. always meant a lot to me because I, I love this issue. This is this is like one of my top three uh, issues from the Burn Run. Uh, this I think this is just a fantastic issue, start to finish. I think the inking on it is a little softer than uh, Austin. Austin's is really crisp. And this is Chris. He doesn't. You don't lose anything. It's not like when sometimes Bernard ink himself and it looks a little heavy and maybe a little muddy. But this is just a little bit softer, more organic than you get with right. um, with Austin. But I agree. It's it's this is beautiful. That shot of him flying over the quarry. That looks like that's taken from a photo. And I don't think I think that's just all hand drawn. That's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah I, I I'm, a, I'm a fan of Kessel on on Burn, but I still put Austin just a slight notch above it. And I'm it's disappointing to this day that we had uh we actually had Cole Kessel ready to come on the show and for some reason that fell through. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of these days. <laughs> I, I'm still hopeful. But yeah, he uh I, I mean not only is he my favorite bird inker, I just I think he's you know a fantastic uh, inker in general but uh you know later of course uh, i think he would become a hell of a writer too he was uh, he was the writer on uh the captain america patriot series that we covered on the show a while back and i think it was as part of that that we were trying to get him on the show and yes because he actually listened to the episode and enjoyed it ah, and we, yeah. we were full of praise for him so <laughs> i'm not surprised that he enjoyed it uh but but you know, I was in contact with him when we sent messages back and forth and he was going to come on, but we just couldn't find a, a mutually acceptable time. I think, uh, I think Carl is a single dad. Uh, I think he's a stay at home dad. And, uh, right. and I think he, he just, you know, his, his window to speak to us was very, very limited and we just couldn't get a time when we were all available. 
I'm going to ask you guys what you think about, and I, you, see, you see this a lot, mostly in the beginning of Burns' run on Superman. He does a lot of, um, he's kind of doing this in Elseman too. He does a kind of a lot of explaining about the way things are going on with Superman, because in that first page, he, when she's asking me about his glasses, you know, why are you wearing those? You don't need them. He's always, I forget, they're, you know, they're part of my Clark Kent disguise, and I just forget about it. And... Then he says, well, I better take them off because if I use them with my heat vision, it's going to melt them. And he does a lot of that throughout the book of kind of Byrne explaining his his writing on Superman. Do you feel that's kind of, I don't want to say heavy handed, but is it, does it seem a little too much? Or I actually, I liked that. I liked that a lot because he, he did do that a lot. I remember specifically uh, issue one um, when he... He goes and he finds, is it issue one? Yeah, where he finds uh, Emmett Vale's uh, lab. Yeah, the lab, and and he and he takes the lab up into space. And while he's doing it, he's kind of thinking to himself. But I mean, really, it's exposition for us, the reader. And he's explaining how his powers work as he's lifting that lab into space. And I liked that. And and I liked it for a couple reasons, because for one, Byrne was really fixated on having logical explanations for Superman's powers. And yeah. and I liked that because I don't remember that ever really being addressed when I was you know, a kid. It was Superman could fly because of, you know, the lighter gravity between um, Krypton and Earth. He had all these amazing superpowers because of Earth's yellow sun. That was it. That was the only explanation you got. But you know, the thing, you know what I think inspired him? Do you know what I think inspired him to come up with this particular answer? Was Superman the movie. When he catches Lois Lane and then catches the helicopter by the strut. You know, and and the helicopter should have continued falling. But obviously for the movie's sake, yeah, they're not going to do that. And, you know, it's like that's something I'm sure Vern is, you know, looking at that goes, how can I explain that? And, you right. know, of course, what he did in the Fantastic Four issue and in what he does here uh, just gives you the full picture. And it just makes it made all sorts of sense to me. And, uh, yeah, I, I love that. Just love I know that. Uh, I know you're not a fan of the Big Bang Theory, Scott, but they did have a, a point on it where they're discussing the movie. And, and one of the guys mentions, well, it's totally unbelievable because, you know, he, he does like the, the math for what speed she's falling at what speed he's going <laughs> going up at it. he's like she would be, be sliced into two pieces right away <laughs> but not with the john Byrne double taco aura yeah there you go yeah exactly yeah I, I like that he was thinking you know and that he was trying to you know i mean some of it may ultimately still end up being chalked up to comic book science but at least he was trying to come up with with reasons and the one that that always sticks with me is uh, because it, you know, Burns one of those guys where if something bothers him, comic book wise, it bothers him to a point where he has to try to solve it, and and sometimes that w- really works for him. Other times, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, but with Superman, I felt like it really worked. And one of the things I know used to bug him is when Superman would go out to sea, and like from the midpoint of the ship, would pick up an ocean liner and carry it back to shore type of thing, mm-hmm. or, or like a, an entire row of slums. There's a classic uh, image from, I think it's like the early silver age where Superman literally picks up like a row of slums and carries it off. Now 
if you've ever seen the movie Titanic, you know that if you, you know, you get past a certain stress point, that ship's going to break in two. You know, it, it, you cannot carry an ocean liner like that. <laughs> but Byrne wanted to come up with a reason, an explanation where Superman could pick up an ocean liner. And so he came up with with things like the tactile telekinesis that would later become such a trope with uh, with the clone Superboy character that became one of his active powers as opposed to a passive power that Superman has. I like stuff like that. So I really didn't mind when Byrne would explain these things because he was giving you kind of the science behind the, the character and making him more relatable. That 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 to me was the greatest gift uh, Byrne gave Superman was trying to address that common complaint of, oh, he's just too powerful and it makes him boring. Well, you know, not only did he reel his powers way, way back, which is one of the reasons I love this issue so much because I think it amply demonstrates the vast power difference between uh, the pre-crisis Superboy and now the post-crisis Superman, they are nowhere near the same power level. Um, you know, Superboy could mop the floor with him. I like that. You, it shows that, yes, Byrne did dial him way back. Um, but then he's also giving him, you know, he, he's grounding him a little bit more uh, in realism by trying to, and again, some of it comes off as comic booky, but at least he's trying to have rational reasons for why he can do the things that he can do. You know, he has heat vision because he soaks up solar energy as a, as a living battery, you know, things like that. Well, his thing with the heat vision was when he explained that it, it, his heat vision is not visible. You know, that was a thing. You couldn't see it. Right. Until the telekinetic got, agitation right. of molecules is the Green Lantern's book. Well, we, I think we talked about it on our show, Brian, uh, about that his powers are more, maybe more psionic, so that mm -hmm. he's pushing himself. I mean, they himself, all tie together. Yeah, he's pushing himself through the air we flying. When, <clears throat> which that kind of ties back to Gladiator too, because his were that's in that same issue. That's why um, they defeat him because they make him doubt his own power, and then suddenly he kind of weakens. So I think that's similar to. It's, um, it's like the comic book version of Kevin Smith, you know. And you know, Kevin Smith had that. <laughs> I don't know how you can that one, but that's <laughs> no, 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 no. It, 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 in Mallrats, Kevin Smith had the characters have a conversation about Superman, basically the Larry Niven Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex story, yeah. you know. And uh, the the producers that uh, make Superman, John Peters and others, said, "Hey, this guy knows an awful lot about Superman. Maybe we should get him to write it." And so the DC guys are reading this fantastic forest and they're going, hey, this guy knows an awful lot about Superman. Maybe we should get him to write it. It's just like well, it, it, I mean, it's nice that, to, to your point, Scott, it's not just he can do this because he's Superman. That's as far as it goes. You know, he's Superman. Right. That's that's how he can go. You know, the you know, Byrne did stick with the, that he gets his he's basically one huge solar battery. Um, <clears throat> that's where his power derives from. So that even when. Um, like when the issue uh, when he teams up with the metal men and Kimo, Kimo <clears throat> duplicates himself they basically cut him off from the sun and he says well he couldn't possibly um, you know I've been storing up this energy forever and that they cut him off from the sun and suddenly he loses his mimic Superman powers nah, I, I gotta say like you guys are talking about something like that is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's. I don't remember which. It's whatever he teams up with the metal men, and and it's that's the first time <laughs> that 
that I because they were talking about post crisis then because Kimo had somehow traveled through all the worlds that had been merged and somehow he wound up in the, the I guess the sewage and then kind of uh, wound up at some chemical plant or something and reformed himself and then uh, it was a it was one that Clark had fallen into and that allowed Kimo to kind of mimic him so he kind of became a large shape of of Superman right yeah. right. The four, the first four pages of this, just remind me why I love the Burn Superman so much. Uh, the art is just beautiful. I like the simplicity of it, and as I've said before, I, I always enjoy Superman reveling in his powers, which is essentially what he's doing. He's, you know, you ask the question, why has he got his shirt off? Because he's showing off. <laughs> he's yes. in front of a pretty girl that that you know he's been friends with and. He, she, he knows that she kind of has the hots for him and everything. And I think he likes her too, although he's more into Lois Lane. He's showing off. He's a, he's just a regular guy at this point. He's a, he's a regular guy hanging out with one of his lady friends. And I like that. So he's, he, that's what he's doing. He's showing off and he's reveling in, in what he can do. And he's kind of doing a little bit of look what I can do. Yeah. And I, I think that's great. Well, Bert I, made, I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I like when his parents show up because those are you know those are some of the best moments with Superman in in any media is when it's just Superman hanging out with his parents. Um, it totally humanizes that character, which is a, a common criticism I hear against Superman that I totally reject that he's not relatable, that he's you know too powerful and blah blah all the things that people say. And see that's I, that's I call bunk on that because. And I also don't, I know some theory that it's kind of like Batman that, that Clark Kent's his alter ego and Superman is who he is. No, he was raised as Clark Kent. That's who he is. That's the, you know, his parents right. raised him. That's the values right. that he's got. So he is Clark Kent. Superman is kind of what he does. It's his job. So <clears throat> by them, so who couldn't, who couldn't relate to a guy who's just a, a hardworking, honest, decent guy who loves his parents and tries to do good. I mean, anybody can relate to that. It has the idea of the fact that he can lift, you know, tremendous weights or fly through the air. You know, you can relate to Clark Kent, who's just a decent person. Yeah, I, I'd it's recently kind of seen a... a panel where they uh, showed Wonder Woman basically having the rope around both Superman and Batman, and she goes, who are you? And he goes, I'm Clark Kent. And Batman goes, I'm Batman. Right. And, and in cementing <laughs> that, you know, each of them who they actually are. It's kind of ironic when you think about it that, uh, you know, Superman is is an alien from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, where where Batman is a normal human who just worked hard to, uh, you know, to hone his abilities, and yet Superman is far more relatable when you think about it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking at page two here, and it's got the the sec scene where he's basically looking at his glasses. He's talking about, you know, being Clark Kent with them, and that right there is by far the most Christopher Reeve I've seen him draw, uh, at, at least in this era era of the of the of the series. Uh, and Man of Steel, I saw it a couple times, but I didn't see it so much here. But it's just around the mouth, like the lines around yeah, the mouth. Yeah, I think it's the mouth and kind of the eyes. Yeah. I can gives see him that. a very Christopher Reeve look. That's just me, but and Tim obviously. No, I, I see that, but I I see I see a lot of the Christopher Reeve Superman in Burns Superman to a point where to me they're they're virtually the same. Their continuities may differ, but I I think 
um, that Burns take on Superman is incredibly heavily uh, influenced by Reeves' portrayal of Superman to a point where I think that's what he's he's going for. Um, without, but I think he was also you know very conscious of just drawing Christopher Reeve. I don't think he wanted to do that, but he wanted it to be. Uh, in tribute and reference, you know, to that character, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. because the same thing, you know, two panels over from that, uh, where he's going there, all cut up into uh, nice, even pieces. That to me is a Christopher Reeve Superman from the face to the stance, to the build. Yeah. That, and, that looks and, like Chris Reeve to me. And here comes the sad, the sad part though, is that, you know, within months after this issue came out, Superman four hit the theaters and I'll be honest, you know, I saw Superman, Superman 2, Superman 3 in the theaters first day when they came out. I didn't go to the theater to see Superman 4. I didn't see it until probably two, three years later over at Mike Carlisle's house. Just, you know, it didn't look right. It didn't look, you know, good. And because of the work that John Byrne had been doing on Superman, I demanded more. And so, therefore, I wasn't going to, you know, pay money to see it in the theater. I just knew that it wasn't going to be a total. I think Superman 4 gets gets a really bad rap. And as the years go by, um, I've never disliked the movie. Um, When it first came out, I was incredibly disappointed in it, I I will freely Mm -hmm. admit. But as the years have gone by, um, I've come to really like that movie more and more to a point where I I think I could say I love it. I I really do. And and it's for a couple of reasons. For one... um, while it's it's nowhere near on par with the first two or even the first three movies, it has its moments, but mm-hmm. also it is influenced by Byrne. Um, if you look at Greaves' hairstyle yes. in that movie, he is clearly aping this Superman, which is ironic because the reason, the number one reason I have come to really love Superman 4 is it's the most... Silver Age Superman of the whole series. That movie feels like a living Kurt Swan era Superman adventure. Uh, silliness and warts and cheese all taken into account. It, it feels like one of the cheesier issues of a Kurt Swan Superman comic come to I life. Greatly, I greatly prefer Superman 4 over Superman 3. I'd, I'd agree by a there. lot. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, Paul. I think it's because because Richard Pryor's kind of ruins that whole film. But well, um, you know, like, like I said, I didn't I didn't go see it in the theater because of the disappointment that I had in what I had seen of like the Nuclear Man and uh, John Cryer as Lenny Luther. Um, I, I, I could just do without John Cryer totally. But... <laughs> I, I I wasn't. You know, I just I just didn't want that. You know, based on you know what I was seeing here. That being said, you know, uh, I've, I've given all my thoughts about my, my likes and loves on this with Mike Zumo on his uh, Man, on, Man of Screen podcast where we did our coverage of Superman 3 and 4. Uh, you know, I, I do like some aspects of the movie. I, I really like uh, Mariel Hemingway in there, too. Um, it just, you know, obviously when I was younger, when it came out in the theaters, I, I'd made a choice. Uh, part of that might have been lack of funds too, but hey, you know. <laughs> well, speaking of lack of four, funds, yeah, Superman Four is it's a canon film, and they it suffered a lot from having its budget really slashed. Yeah, 
Yeah, for you know, Masters you, of the Universe. You mentioned that you know that it's it's Silver Agey, and you know we've talked on many occasions about uh, you know movies, TV shows, whatever about you know when they shy away from some of the more corny aspects, especially when we're talking about Superman on the screen and Captain America on the screen, and how we've enjoyed when they really do embrace that. Uh, yes. And and there's you know the scene in there when when he decides he's going to eliminate all the nuclear weapons and he gives like a little speech, I just felt it was so earnest. And yes. you know yes it's corny but it really just kind of struck home for me and I enjoyed it very much. I, I think that movie is is dramatically overly criticized. Yes, that that entire sequence to me is. It's on a par with like the the plane rescue sequence from Superman Returns. You know, you can say what you want about the movie, but during that part of the movie, when Superman saves the plane, I'm all in and I'm loving every second of what's happening because it's Superman doing what Superman does. It's the same thing in Superman 4 when he goes to the UN. And one of the things that works best for me is that Superman 4 has the distinction of having the best score of the entire series after Superman the movie Um, because it has original themes for one, but it wasn't just a reworking of Superman the movie like Superman 2 and Superman 3 are. It is a completely original score and it really works and it sounds great with and away from the movie and that sequence um, if you ever listen to the track just isolated, it's it's rather a long sequence. And that entire sequence from when he walks into the UN until he throws the th- you know, missiles into the sun is just, I mean, it, it rouses me. It gives me goosebumps. It's a great piece of music. And in the movie, it's it's a great scene. It's, it's quintessential Superman. And that's the other thing that works for me with Superman 4 is it's the one movie uh, of the entire series, and I think the only Superman movie ever where Superman does the one thing that Superman does best. He throws shit into the, the sun. sun. That's what <laughs> Superman does. And I love that. I think it's I think it's great. Um but go, composer. Just, just real quick, I've gotta throw a defense out there for Superman three because and, and for even for uh what's his name? Uh, Richard Pryor because yeah, he's annoying as hell in that movie, and and he hogs way too. The problem with Superman three, the short and long and short of it, is it needs more Superman in it, mm-hmm. um, and it needs a lot less Richard Pryor. But I tell you where Richard Pryor gets a big old pass for me, is when he's disguised as the general, and he <laughs> blows into Smallville, and he gives that long, ridiculous, rambly ass speech, and you're wondering where, you know, and you can see it on the faces of the of the Smallville citizens are like, where the hell is he going with all this? And then he finally wraps it up by going, you know, uh, whatever he says last week or, you know, three weeks ago, whatever he says, you know, half of this great nation of ours almost bit the bullet. And he pauses and he goes, if it wasn't for this man here, and he points at Superman. And that is a stand up and cheer moment, man, that he's pointing out that, that, you know, that's what Superman does. And I love that. And so, yeah, he gets a pass. That That's a great moment. And, you know, the only reason he's in that movie he loves Superman. Super, yeah. uh, Richard Pryor was a huge Superman fan. Didn't so, you talk about again, it on the yeah. Tonight Show, and that's what got him into it? Oh, I don't like, know about that, but I, I could yeah, believe yeah. it. Yeah. I think he was on the Tonight Show or one of the other talk shows. And it's funny, because apparently all these people that control Superman watch a lot of TV and movies. And if you just say a lot of stuff about Superman, they hire you. <laughs> so Right. <laughs> 
Well, now, now, I, and well I mean, you were I, talking I earlier about the music, and I, I just got to stop and say I am blown away because I never knew this, that Superman 4's score was written by Alexander Courage, or at least yep. the score was adapted by him. And, yep. of course, Alexander Courage, you know, for the Star Trek theme. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Does he now? I have to go back and listen to that all over. Again. I think uh, I think uh, Superman Four um, it's dragging a lot of the baggage from Superman Three, which is I think the reason why it's um, Superman Three kind of put a sour taste in everyone's mouth, so they kind of carried that over. I think to Four. Um, the the one scene that I like in Superman Three, which I think is to your point, this guy's very silver agey, is when he becomes bad Superman. And he is broken in half. You know, he's, he kind of does a Kirk and has Clark Kent. And then there's evil <laughs> Superman. And he fights himself in that junkyard. I mean, mm -hmm. that's straight up Silver Age. And then he kind of, that's, you know. Yeah. I love that scene. Yeah. I love that. And I love when he when he inverts the, the tornado. That's right out of the comics. That's what Superman did to tornadoes. He flew into them and he counter, spun counterclockwise and he would defuse tornadoes. And he does that in Superman 3. And I love it. It's, it's classic Superman. So, yeah. It has, it gonna, has moments. I'm going to bring us a little bit back on track again, though. Yeah. We yeah. Wandering off here. But I think what's happening here, and I think this is why you need to have listened to Back to the Bins episode before you listen to this one, is despite the fact that I think the art in this is absolutely gorgeous, uh, it is retreading pretty much most of the ground that we, we covered in the last issue. So there's not a whole lot of new stuff to, to hit on and discuss here. And that's, I think that allows for tangenting, which is what we're doing here. Uh, well, but I mean, I, I, notes, though. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think the, I just the keep art. coming back to the artwork in this one, which I think is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. This is burn at, at his full power. Just, you know, yeah. uh, every panel is, is freaking gorgeous. And, and it gives you so much to sit there and drink in. You're talking earlier about the rock quarry and how it just looks like, yeah. like a picture. And I you don't that. know if he, that, he took that, that from picture and just came just up with it himself. Or even even the yeah. picture of, of Superman, Superboy and the Legion. Uh, you know, everybody always it, talks about George Perez and his ability to draw all the different characters. Look at all the characters on that page. Yeah. Now, yeah. The, the, the page, of course, it gets, gets my attention. And, oh, God, I forgot about that page with the entire Legion. And that's just... And again, you know, we, we, we talked about this before, but Byrne is not really a fan of the Legion. And yet here he is drawing them and making them look just as gorgeous as anything else. Now, um, the funny now, thing, of course, on the on the what previous uh, couple pages, page 12, you look down at the bottom, you'll see the, the original Legion, Cosmic Boy, Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad. And they've got their names on their costumes, like I was mentioning <laughs> And it just looks like a kid's Halloween costume. Pretty damn cool, yeah. though. At least Lightning Lads is cool. Um, I'll go back a few pages, uh, back yeah. to page five. Uh, the next to last panel there. Not only do I love that piece of art with Superman, you know, he's, he's flying and he's uh, basically laying on his back while he flies. Uh, but he's saying, good Lord, my heat vision, it fired spontaneously. Um, now, the reason for this is because... Um, it was due to a, a LexCorp satellite that had been intentionally bombarding him with solar rays in order to, to purposely ramp up his powers and make his powers uh, kind of go crazy and run amok to try to turn him into a menace to humanity. This is all going to come to a head two issues from now <laughs> in issue 10, but it's a, it's another plot by Lex Luthor. 
Superman just doesn't know it yet. But doesn't he think, doesn't uh, Clark think it may be from the previous issue where he absorbed all the energy from Rampage? He thinks it may be Rampage, a side, yeah. a side yeah. effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were talking about the art, and I, I don't disagree. I love, love, love the art in this issue. Um, one of my favorite issues uh, of Burns' run on Superman. However, it's not without its criticisms. Um, and that last panel of page five, Sunboy, I just don't like the way Byrne did his hair here. It looks like he has an orange afro, and it carries <laughs> yeah. through pretty much the whole issue. He doesn't yeah. look curly-headed to me. He looks like he literally has an afro, and I, I just don't like the way it looks. He didn't quite nail it with the uh, with Sunboy, unfortunately. But uh, there's so many panels in this I love. Uh, page 7, that last panel again, with, uh, with Superman kind of hovering in the air. I love the way his cape is blowing. And we're seeing him from behind as the Legionnaires are kind of circling him, trying to kind of bracket him. And I, I love that. Yeah. And then being plowed into when Block plows him in the back, the look of pain on Superman's face. Um, I like. I just. I how love heavy that was that time bubble? Now. What's that? I'm sorry. How heavy was that time bubble? The one that he was having <laughs> trouble lifting. And but right. look at Block's face there. He looks like Dark Side there. Yeah. Yeah. He does. But I that expression on Superman's face, that's how my back felt yesterday. So oh, I was, having, wow. I was having back spasms like crazy. Oh, no. But I I think it's, you know, without coming right out and saying it, I think, again, it's it's helping to demonstrate that this is a, a less powerful Superman. This is a depowered, you know, powered down from, <clears throat> you know, the, the prior incarnation of Superman. And I like that. You know, the, the Legion, and it's just four of them. And not even four of the more powerful members, and and they're giving Superman a run for his money here. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something we kind of hinted at last episode, uh, you know, the first uh, episode of the uh, of our little crossover here when we were talking about uh, the crisis and its impact here. Page ten, that first panel, um, Superman is is noting the fact that they keep calling him Superboy. And he says, I met a kid who called himself Superboy a few months ago. And then there's an editor's note saying the sole survivor of Earth Prime, one of the parallel worlds destroyed during the crisis on infinite Earths. And Superman thinks to himself, but he went off into limbo at the end of crisis. And it doesn't seem like he was around long enough to have made this pack of enemies. I'm telling you, man, this fired my imagination as a kid reading this because this is the kind of stuff I like to think about. Like, what what had the crisis looked like to this Superman? You know, he he's part of the post-crisis universe. So the crisis still happened. What did it look like? Because it I, was no I longer a crisis on... Uh, I'm see, sorry? I, I can't picture the crisis without thinking of that one particular moment where Superman is screaming at the top of his lungs, he wants to find the monitor and kill him for what happened to Supergirl. Right. That, 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 right. That, that, that one sink sequence there of her death and all that is so ingrained in my mind as the biggest moment in that series that it makes it hard for me to sit there and look at him and think about what the hell did he experience? Well, this Superboy he's talking about, it's Superboy Prime, right? Right, yeah. The, yeah, later becomes the Superboy a Superboy that went off with... Becomes with, a villain? Doesn't he? In in crisis, uh, on, yeah, in infinite crisis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he punches a whole yeah. reality or something, or a hole yeah, in time. He went off. 
he went off with uh, with uh, Earth One, Earth Two, Superman, and and Alexander Luther off into yeah. some. That's Alex way down the, the line. That yeah. that I personally divorced from my personal <laughs> headcanon. But no, you're right. That that does happen. But I I hate that for so many reasons. But no, you're right. That is that is who he's talking about. Yeah. But I mean, there's so many questions that arise here. Um, for one, again, you know, the crisis, post-crisis, how, how could he meet a parallel universe Superboy because there were no parallel universes in this new timeline? So how does that work? What was his role in the crisis? Because clearly there was no Supergirl because she didn't exist. Um, if he met Superboy from Earth Prime... What about the Earth 2 Superman? What about the Earth 1 Superman? Was he still a part of this too? Or has this burned Superman replaced? So there's all these great questions, none of which are really resolvable. None of them really get resolved, but it's just fun to think about. And sometimes you can actually sprain your brain thinking too much about it because it but all I, involves you know time travel and that sort of thing. So, And yet somebody thought about it long enough to make Superboy Prime the villain in a later one, and that's that's uh, well, that's why they always go the wrong direction. <laughs> that's why I just don't get it. Can <laughs> confuse me because I, since I was kind of picking up Superman post crisis, it felt like this was completely devoid. Like you know, you I really thought this this is completely new and it hadn't had anything to do with uh, the crisis that's happened. So that's kind of how I was reading it, and to know that <laughs> no, this is supposed to be the same Superman, or or he did go through the crisis, whether it's the way it's particular depicted in the the original run or not i don't know but to your, your point scott it kind of makes you interesting you know i like to see what happened yeah yeah now i have I, a question and it may be I, inappropriate and everything in, in in this moment but on page 10 in the bottom right uh panel is is it shadow there or is he actually actively trying to crush a walnut and yes i'm talking about superman's butt crack <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what are you? Okay, never noticed uh, it before. Sorry, just... he's got buns of steel. <laughs> What's yeah, the word looking for Brian, anyway? First, first, it's nipples, and now it's butts. I mean, come on, Brian. What? Yeah, it's it's been a long, uh, a long time here with the snow and the pandemic, and yeah. Anyway, any point in the storm, I guess. <laughs> As he's being clouded by Superman, even Block comments, he says, uh, you know, he's he seems not to be as strong as I remember. So, again, you know, Byrne really, I think, hammering that point home that that he is uh, depowered from, you know, the, the prior incarnation. I, I like that. I really like yes. that a lot. But it's also um, a natural observation that he would make. It's not it's not forced exposition. Right. So I, I like the way it works in there. Yeah, it never never feels forced. I mean, in the next issue, we, when Crypto rips his cape and he makes a comment about that the dog was surprised that his cape ripped, you know, because right. Burn has established that. <laughs> so, now, um, now, Brian, where where are you getting that 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 Burn uh, doesn't like the Legion? Is that something he has said? Yes, multiple times. Oh, okay. In fact, oh, okay. I, I'd asked him a question at one point about uh, the possibility, you know, he was actually offered Legion. And, you know, it's like, it's like, what would you have done? And he goes, nothing. I couldn't, I couldn't, 
do the Legion because I disliked them. And then he went into his whole thing about, you know, the super dickery and the silliness of the, of the, the way that they were drawn at the time uh, when he first read them as a kid, you know? And, and again, this is, you, you know, know I, could, could that be like a, I, a I just, uh, kickback on Jim, on Jim shooter? Are we, oh, you beat me to it. You bastard. Oh. I was going to ask the same thing. Yeah. It just occurred to me. Yeah. I, it wouldn't surprise me. So Shooter started writing it at what fourteen? He was fourteen years old when he was uh, writing them. Thirteen he started. or fourteen, yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah, have to lot look of back and see tropes. see when. I mean, yeah. a lot of the Legion tropes, uh, that a lot of that super dickery you're talking about, a lot of that stuff is is Jim Shooter. You know, a lot of the the formation of of what we remember as as classic Legion stuff comes from a lot of the characters come from him. That yeah, I think we I think you've hit on something, Paul. Because uh, uh, after I read this today, uh, I was flipping back through the Burn era of Superman, just kind of refamiliarizing myself, and uh, I was looking at issue. I think it's issue eleven. I want to say where it reintroduces uh, Mixias Pitlick, who I always hated. <laughs> um, but in the beginning of that story, there's a, a character that uh, shows up. His name is something weird like Ben bend over or something like that. And it's, it's a <laughs> is, is visually... it John Burns version of the funky flesh man. <laughs> ben Deroy. No, ben it's, 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 it's his, it's his uh, take on the beyonder. Cause yeah. he oh. looks just like him and his name is a, uh, what do you call that? A, um, anagram, uh, it's there's, the, a, there's a, a it's the tuckerization of the beyond. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and yeah, and it was because he was uh, he was poking fun at, at Jim Shooter's Beyonder and Secret Wars. He did the same thing in um, Legends in Legends. Star Brand. A, what's that? Yeah, Legends with Starbrand. Yeah, there's a Starbrand. Yeah, yeah. The the mm-hmm. villain in that in one portion is Jim Shooter. <laughs> so yeah. So well, so the, then the question is, and I really don't even know the answer to this honestly is. Is it friendly, friendly fire, or is is Jim Shooter the enemy to him? Um, I think to burn. I think Shooter was an enemy. I, I could be wrong. I might, might be misremembering, and I'm that not. That would be my to, guess. You know, I just don't know. Yeah, I would, I would, he, but, he's yeah. not had anything nice to say about him. I mean, he he, he doesn't he, have anything nice to say about a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, it's, it's you know, basically, he he can sit there and point basically the reasons why he left Marvel and is basically all up to up to shooter and that, you know, shooter was never straight with him or honest with him uh, about the things that he could or couldn't do. He would constantly change right. the story on him, especially like at the end with uh, the, the covers that he was doing on fantastic four. And then what happened on the Hulk where basically Byrne says to him, yeah, I'd like to do this, 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 and this. And shooter says, that's great. You should do it. And five issues into it. He's like, you can't do this. So right. he just, finally quit and, and he'd already was doing Superman and so he was able to take the responsibilities not just of Superman but of action comics and you know writing adventures of Superman so yeah yep. he uh, definitely yeah. has has a has a, a bit of dislike for him there I don't know that that you know how he would react to him in public I know that you know he of course has choice things to say about Chris Claremont but there is still respect there Right. Uh, yeah. I'll, I, yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. But that's just you know my observations from you know reading on on his website, Burn Robotics. 
Well, um, if they could burn is proven anything, he has a long memory, so he doesn't seem like he forgets some of this stuff that he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't yeah, forget. He holds forget. a grudge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, <laughs> but there's two sides to every story, so I'm sure. I think Shooter gets a lot of unjust hatred towards him. Um, but absolutely, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, from a, from a fan point of view, having met Jim Shooter, I thought he was a real gentleman. Yeah. Now yeah. that doesn't. I've never worked for him, so I can't comment <laughs> on that. But you know, in, in Shooter's own blog, he was very gracious to Burn. Uh, in you know, in regards to a lot of things that went on in the past, he didn't he didn't throw him under the bus for anything. Um, but you know, obviously, Burn you know feels that you know that uh, he should throw Shooter under the bus for everything. You know, well, how far all that goes, I don't know. Shooter's biggest crime, the, the thing he's most guilty of is doing the job he was hired to do, which was be the editor-in-chief. And that's what most of these guys have their noses bent out of joint about, is that prior to Jim Shooter coming in, it was kind of a, a, a hippie hangout free-for-all at Marvel Comics. And he came in and tried to crack the whip and, and get things in line and make the trains run on time. And a lot of the people hated him for it. And it's it's unfortunate because you know the guy was trying to do the right thing. Yeah, but um, saying he got the train running on time brings up the other phrase. So did Mussolini, <laughs> and you know, <laughs> and you know, it, it's that that and for lack of a better term, it's the fascism that that came in as he started feeling his oats. He got a lot of of of, uh, of credit for you know getting the trains running on time, and he took a lot of credit. By putting his fingers in the pies that were getting the most looked at, he, right. he'd stir, you know, he'd, he'd take credit for what's going on in the X Men or the Fantastic Four, all the books that are doing well, and he would ignore the books that weren't doing so well at all. Right. So yeah, you know, so he could take on that credit, you know, get well, some of that. It's, it's that similar to Stan Lee, you know, there's, you know, that's become very popular. Yeah, to bash on in, people. <clears throat> in in the later years that he was there, he felt that you know so strongly that he knew how to run things and how to manage it that he turned into what Byrne refers to as the whim of iron, where he would come out with these edicts from time to time, like no story should be continued into another book; it needs to be one one and done. And you know he forced all the writers to to you know to stay to that to a point. Except when he would do a story and he'd run it over several issues, and you know the, these things came, but you know he would he would say you know that you you could or couldn't do certain things on a splash page, or he didn't want the last page of an issue to be a full page reveal of a villain as an a, an add on to the next uh, issue. He put all these as as, as little you know mandates, and that's why Byrne refers to him now as the whim of iron. I think he um, had a rule that you right. weren't allowed to have a, a nipple on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> that may be. That may be. Uh, I did see that Burn started, and uh, not Burn, but Shooter started writing for DC in about 1966, and he started with the Legion in 346, Adventure Comics 346. Now this is long after the stories were called were basically featuring Superboy and Legion of Superheroes. So they didn't do the initial super super dickery uh, shooter, didn't. But um, I guess he probably followed along in line with it. Right. <sighs> yeah. No, he he wasn't there at the very beginning, but yeah, you know, there was still formative. You know, when he came in, they they hadn't been around all that long. 
Because they got introduced way back in 247, but they didn't become a, a regular feature until around 300, I want to say, something like that. Now, I was shocked to uh, to notice something today that I'd never noticed before in all the times I've read this story before, which is that pages 18 and 19 of this issue are exactly the same. Uh, same layout, same perspective, same panel breakdown, everything as pages 23 and 24 of Legion of Superheroes Volume 3, number 37, the first chapter of this uh, of this crossover. Uh, that's really cool to me. I mean, it's exactly yeah. the same, except one is done by uh, Greg LaRock and, uh, and uh, Mike DiCarlo, and then this one's done by Byrne and Kessel. It's, it's, but it's really cool. Same angles and everything. It's, it's really neat. And then yeah. it, it splits... It splits after that back to being, you know, purely, uh, purely burn on page 20. And we see burns take of Superboy chasing the time bubble and trying to zap it with the stasis ray. And I got to admit, I like the other one better. I like the Greg LaRock one better. There's, there's something about the perspective and the way the cape is blowing and everything in the, in the LaRock version that I just like better. It, it's, it looks really cool. There's nothing wrong with the burn one. I, I just, I really like the the, the rock well, one a lot. Well, the rock one, you can see, because it's kind of reversed angle, and you can see the, the, one, you can kind of see the time sphere better. This is just got a circle with some shadowy figures inside, and you can see it kind of butting up and starting to break the time barrier when it's getting zapped. So you can see right. that getting away. Here, it's hard to tell. Right. So, yeah, I agree. I think the other one works. Um, yeah. Works better. I will say that Burns' models for Invisible Kid and Block are better than the Rocks, because uh, I mean, uh, Invisible Kid, uh, God, I, I, he looks like somebody, but he doesn't look like uh, Invisible Kid as I as I knew him from, you know, the the books that I read him on. Where Burns seems to be much more on model. Yeah, but uh, yeah. but Sunboy is more on model in the Rocks. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I do not like Burns' take on Sunboy, and, it, and it's all the hair. The hair just doesn't yep. work somehow. That last but, uh, page where you see Superboy kind of, you know, he kind of announces himself, um, where they're being um, zapped. He's, he's zapping all of them, and <clears throat> I really like that chop. It's one. It's kind of a dynamic pose where he's up there at an angle, and he does have a younger face, and his body is more lean. It's not as muscular. So he does look right. like somebody who's, you know, 16 or 17. And it looks like he's holding the evil eye from Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> this, I, I can't, I, I wish I had the words to express what this felt like. Because, I mean, I read this first run. I read, you know, I was buying this off the stands as, as this was coming out and just loving it, just eating it up. And, you know, this was a time, at, at least for me, before solicits before you knew everything that was going to happen before it was published all that sort of thing so you you were basically you know you were getting it as it was being given to you so to get to this page you know and, and end on such a you know a holy shit cliffhanger but then that little tiny tease that's showing you the cover 
of Action 591, and and that is one of my all-time favorite comic book covers ever of anything. You know, of of Superboy versus you know the pre-crisis Superboy versus Burns Superman. You know, and and you just get that tiny little thumbnail of it. It's hard to even make out all the details, but it was just enough of a tease to just. I mean, man, this just lit me on fire. It was just like, oh my god, I can't wait for this. this is so awesome. <laughs> this is everything I've ever wanted, you know. And uh, and it didn't disappoint. But it's it's just this was great stuff. I love this this cliffhanger ending. Um, the only thing with it is it is a little overblown, you know, because Superboy actually says, "You must die, Legionnaires." <laughs> Which causes plan into is that really his intention? Does he really intend to kill the Legionnaires? So the whole universe can live. Well, it does seem a little compared to when you read the next two issues and, and what Superman figures out by Superboy, it seems like he's either really overacting here to kind of get a you know, to to make what happens what he wants to happen, or his, they've kind of changed the way he, you know, that he kind of gets he's softened up a little bit in the next issue where he's doesn't seem to be as determined to to kill him. Right, right. That yeah, I uh, think it was it was all part of that. His heart really wasn't in it, though. Right. And I think that's and and so saying that gives them that oh crap we've got to defeat him now. Yeah. That, well, uh, do we? Uh, the eulogy more notes? we're talking about for uh, for E. Nelson Bridwell isn't the back of this one. It's uh, it's the meanwhile column on the inside back cover uh, of this issue, uh, mentioning that E. Nelson Bridwell passed away. Yeah, and the the next issue of Legion is actually dedicated to E. Nelson Bridwell. Well, the very front, the very front of this, or no, this is dedicated no, to Edmund, Edmund Hamilton. Hamilton. Which I yeah. do not know who that is. That threw me off because the first thing I noticed is that it was misspelled. But then I'm kind of wondering, is it actually misspelled? Because Edmund Hamilton, the Edmund Hamilton I thought they were talking about, died in 1977. So who is this one? Because this one is spelled E-D-M-U-N-D, whereas the Edmund Hamilton, who was the comic book writer, was E-D-M-O-N-D. Hmm. So I tried Googling this guy to find out who it is, and I couldn't find anything. So do you, do you guys know? I don't. Yeah, he's not the guy that wrote Star the Star Wolf series? That's the other one? Maybe? Uh, yeah, I, I really don't know. I was thinking it was Ed- Edmund Hamilton... The, the writer, you know, the comic book writer, and I, I think he was a novelist as well. Yeah, uh, that's, he was married to Leia Brackett, who wrote The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that, that's, 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 that's who I just pulled up, and he died. Yeah, he passed away in 77. Yeah, so, so I don't think it's to him, but unless there's some element of this story that's being attributed to Edmund Hamilton, but again, if it is, they misspelled his name which doesn't seem like a really good way to serve his memory, which is what the dedication is dedicated to the memory of. So, so I, I do think it must be a different Edmund Hamilton. I just have no idea. What well, the unless it was related to captain future, but you know, again, that'd be, that'd be a deep, deep pull. <laughs> Actually, is it in the, is there any reference to it in the letters? Nah, I'm not seeing anything here. I thought maybe the, the letters page might make a reference to it, but I have a big two, two page letters page. Yeah. Yeah. I did some searching around to see if he said anything on his own website, but, um, I, nothing there either. 
let me check one other thing. That for me, guys. Well, do we have? <laughs> I know we're we're running kind of long here. Uh, we have any? I don't want anything else to say on this. Uh, Scott, you're the one that. See, I don't know if you have any more notes or comments. Uh, no, that is all my notes on this. Um, I, I, you know, just to reiterate, I, I love this issue. I, I think it's fantastic. Love the art in it. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. And uh, come on, somebody make a T-shirt of this cover already, or a poster, or something. Come on. You don't see. A, I don't see a lot of burn art on T-shirts. I don't see a, a lot of burn art. Period. You know, as far as like commercially available stuff, yeah. it's it's few and far between. That that has always shocked me. Um, but I'm especially surprised. These, Go ahead. No, go ahead. So I'm a little surprised the guy we got those man wolf shirts from doesn't have any. Yeah, I know, right? And stuff because I am pretty sure he's not licensing them. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I don't think so either. Uh, yeah, I notice he's kind of weird and selective about what he what he does have available. But yeah, I mean, I can understand back in the day there not being a lot of stuff, but these days when you can go into like Hobby Lobby and places like that and they have so much comic book stuff now, it actually shocks me and, and really pleases me that there's so much comic book art that you can get to decorate your house now. I mean, this this is the stuff I dreamed about back when I was a teenager and, and you know, in my young 20s, you know, wanting to put posters and stuff up on my walls, you know, of comic book stuff. Now there's so much of it out there. And, and on a quick recollection, I think the the wooden, you know, there's those wooden, I don't know what you would call them, wall art plaque things that recreate comic book covers. There's one for Man of Steel by Byrne, you know, the, and it's the alternate one where it's just the close-up of him ripping open his shirt. Mm -hmm. I have that. And I think that's the only, like, commercial piece of Byrne stuff you know, that, that I've bought that, you know, that wasn't like from a comic shop, you know what I'm talking about? Like a, like yeah. his She-Hulk poster or something. I'm talking like walking into a, a, a you know, a, a non-comic store, like a Hobby Lobby or Walmart or something and finding something comic booky. I, I don't think I've ever seen something burn. I've seen um, some, some X-Men t-shirts that have burn art, but I think that's mostly at cons and stuff. Right, it's not something you're gonna find, uh, or at a, maybe at a, at a, at a, a dealer. But um, and then you got to wonder if that's even, you know, if it's even really licensed, or if it's just yeah. a deal that's right, yeah. themselves to to reproduce it. That would be my guess as to why we're not seeing it. Is that there must be some sort of thing with Burn where, uh, you know, they would have to pay him for it or something to where that it's it's cost prohibitive and they just don't want to. I, I would guess. I, I really don't know. Somebody off so much. They keep <laughs> they keep too. making that Fantastic Four poster available, uh, you know, from his days of from there, and uh, I always I, I I love it and hate it because the way it, it's got the I think the watchers colored kind of a funky yellow. I always thought I wish uh, they would do a poster. Now they could do it more like a border of his Oahu, Ohatmu. Oh, um, yeah, <clears throat> covers and have those because I've got the the first run, which is not burn. I can't remember who did the first one, but I've got that poster. It's like four feet by four feet because those posters issues when you put them together, they made a big square. Yeah, his, his would have to be like a border around a room or something. Yeah, yeah I, I remember there's a company out there that was you, you could provide them pretty much any print and they would make a full wall sized, you know, that would go from, you know, floor to ceiling. Of, of whatever, and one guy had done the Days of Future Past cover, 
and got that on his wall. I'm like, oh, I have to have that. <laughs> That's cool. That, that would cool. be that would be cool. But I don't see it anymore around. It. Not not that I can find it real easy. There is on eBay. Uh, someone has a poster, a uh, what is this, a sixteen by eleven art print of the Days of Future Past cover, and that's twenty dollars. Yeah. But sixteen yeah, by eleven. Yeah, I stay clear yeah. of that stuff because a yeah. lot of times it's just somebody with a really good printer, you know, that's running that stuff off. You know, they're they're not official or licensed and. Yeah, Sometimes they look really good, and other times, yeah, not so much. So, yeah, I'm really leery of that kind of. I, I prefer it to be, you know, officially licensed if at all possible. But I don't know. Then again, sometimes you get lucky. You know, Paul and I both have a have a copy of a of a uh, werewolf uh, or what do you call it, manwolf shirt from Creatures uh, on the Loose that uh, we bought off of eBay from some dude, and <laughs> it's quality stuff as far as I'm concerned. So. Sometimes you get lucky that way, but, but yeah, I, I do yeah. wish there was more of this burn stuff out there, uh, especially as Superman stuff. It just, it pains me that, you know, you go into Hobby Lobby, I, I keep coming back to them, but that's what we have in this area, you know, but you go into Hobby Lobby and they've got like 12 million different things for Batman and they got like one thing for Superman and it's always that damn Jim Lee Superman where he's like standing over a city that's... Yeah orange or something like it's on fire i hate that picture it's like give me some burn superman <laughs> man yeah well uh do you guys want to grade this yeah absolutely F. okay <laughs> <laughs> uh i guess uh since it's our show i'll go ahead and go first since you guys did that on yours um i'm going to give the the cover uh you know looking at that and seeing all that Let's get, it's going to get an A+. And uh, the interior art is going to get an A+. And the story is going to get an A+. What, what, what do you think my overall... Does anybody know what that would constitute overall? F. C? C. Yeah. <laughs> the A+. Plus. I, I mean, it's just... This is one of those perfect issues. It's just knocked out of the park. Everything just right. You know, well, I will. I will give the cover a good solid A. <clears throat> Excuse me. And <clears throat> I'm gonna give the interior art an A. And story, I'm gonna give it B plus. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's a good solid story, but so much of it's kind of <clears throat> rehashed from the previous uh, issue. So it feels like there's <clears throat> excuse me a lot of filler in here, but. Overall, it's good. So I guess my overall, I think my overall grade's going to be an A. Yeah, I think the cover is an A plus. I think this is just as good as good as you know you're going to get. Uh, the interior art, I would say an A. Uh, you know, this it's it's really really solid. It's great. I think it's beautiful. Uh, you know, it's cup. I I don't even mind the Sunboy hair. Uh, you know what I'm gonna bring I'm gonna pump it to an A plus. I convinced myself as I was saying it. Uh, and the story I was gonna ask I'm, you what what were the deficiencies that that <laughs> kept you from making it? I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> yeah, well that's that's I, I realized it as I was saying it. Um, and I'm gonna for exactly the reasons that Tim gave, I'm gonna agree that it's a B plus on the story. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it does feel like there's just not as much substance to it as as the previous issue. Uh, because there is some rehashing going on. 
but you know the the cliffhanger at the end is awesome. The the story itself is is terrific. It's just I want a little bit more. So I'm going to just say a B plus on it, and I'll give the book an A, solid A, almost an A plus. I feel like we could probably count on one hand the number of perfect grades we've ever given to comics on Back to the Bins, despite almost 500 episodes of the show. But this, to me, is a perfect comic. Um, the cover is clearly an A-plus in my book. I, I think it's beautiful. Um, I love Burn Superman. It is my Superman. And I, I can think of very, very few images burn ever drew of superman that i love more than this one on the cover right here it's just perfect in every way this to me is right up there with that famous picture of christopher reeve standing in front of new york city pointing at the sky i just love it it's iconic superman to me and i and i love it i love the way it looks uh the interior art it, it's just i love it i love it start to finish there are so many iconic images here um page four in particular that is a perfect comic book page it's just beautiful. I love the way Superman's streaking into the sky, going from Clark Kent to Superman in flight, and then that angled shot of him zipping into the quarry where he's actually holding his cape to keep it from fluttering as he descends. It's beautiful. It's just so well thought out. I love the angle. I love the perspective. It's just a beautiful piece of art. And I, and I think the art throughout the issue is just fantastic. I think it's a really wonderful blending of, uh, of Burns pencils and Kessel's inks. I have very few qualms beyond uh, Sunboy's hair. And ironically, I do not like Superboy's face on the very last page. That's the only issue. The only qualm I have really with the art at all is there's, there's something about his face that's never quite worked for me. And I'm not sure exactly what it is. But the rest of it, uh, I think, is great. So A-plus on the interior art. And... While I agree with you on both the rehashing um, of events from Legion, you know, the, the prior chapter of this, uh, the other thing that's always bugged me a bit about the story in this is the full retelling uh, from Brainiac. You know, the relating, you know, when Brainiac 5 is relating to Superman, the full uh, origin and backstory of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, that drags a bit for me but it's absolutely necessary because you have to remember there were a lot of people that came to this title because they were fans of john byrne that may have never picked up a superman title before and i i've known people that said you know i always thought superman sucked but then john byrne got a hold of him and wow this was great and i read every issue well so then you've got to give those people context you know you've got to fill them in so wait, while I might have been, you know, intimately familiar with Superboy and the, and the history of the Legion of Superheroes, I'm sure there were tons of people reading this for the first time that hadn't a friggin' clue who this Superboy kid is and how does he relate to Superman and all of that. So it's bringing them up to speed. It, it's, it's necessary, unfortunately, even though it does chew up a lot of the page count in this. And even the, the parts that you know, directly uh, rehash and even art-wise ape those pages from the prior chapter of the Legion. Well, not everybody was picking up Legion. So this entirely brings you up. So rather than be a weakness of the issue, I, I actually kind of think it's a strength of the issue because you could pick this up and go forward and really, honestly, you don't really need the first chapter of this. 
Um, you know, you know, and if, that's, if, that's something funny that you just bring up. And I'm remembering now that when these books came out, they came out pretty much at the same time where I picked them up at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I read this first. Right. Yeah. So I didn't get the story at order. And, and you, you note that the story doesn't tell you, hey, go back and read that one first. It right. just goes right into it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there is nothing to say that this is chapter two or anything like that. So they were they were to a certain degree, they were operating independent of each other, all although it is a, a story that is tied together. Um and then as we're gonna see next time around, you know, the Superman chapter of this ends, and that could be the end of the story. Um, but then you know the the subsequent issue of Legion gives you more if you care to follow it to that. So you know, technically, the you know the two Superman-related issues, you know, this issue and then the next one, Action uh, Five, what is it, seventy-one? I think 91. no, ninety, what five ninety-one? Um, you know, that is to to a large degree that is a self-contained story. Um, it's just with with the two Legion bookends, it's a fuller story. So anyway, it's a, it's a long way of saying that uh, I'm I'm not going to knock off anything on the grade for uh, you know rehashing the Legion stuff or retelling the the origin. So uh, a plus on story as well. So all around to me, this this is a perfect book, and I can't remember ever giving a perfect grade on anything before. So <laughs> it's pretty rare, but uh, I love it. And I, I honestly don't think it's just nostalgia or my love of it talking. I, I really do think this is a, a perfect comic. I think it's great. And I can't wait to tackle the next issue because uh, I like that one even more than this one. So there you go. There, there is one thing. The teacher is going to mark off Burns, uh, Burn for copying another cover. So <laughs> just kidding. Not if you copy yourself. <laughs> yeah. Well, something I just noticed some ask you guys real quick on page 15 oh go ahead Uh no no go ahead well on page 15 we talked about where he's got the picture of all the the legion legion members at the bottom it says uh john is it john and carl after greg and larry Uh uh-huh so that would be greg larock and larry malstead and I'm trying to remember where that image is from it may possibly be who's who I'm not sure. I'd have to look that up. It looks like a who's who image, doesn't it? And it reminds me a little bit of the the Alan Davis Superboy in the Legion. Uh, if you saw that Prestige series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You yeah, I know Alan um, Davis drew in Legion. I had to pick those up. Oh yeah, I love Good Alan stuff. Davis. Yeah, I do too. I'm a huge fan of Alan Davis. Love and his stuff. And you know, stuff. Scott, now I have to go and look for that Secrets of the Legion series because, I mean. Golly, I can't even remember it when I did my last collection, you know, walkthrough. And I, 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 I have to uh, see if I can find that um, in, in digital somewhere because that I really like that series. I really these days try to avoid getting doubles uh, of my comics, but I was out somewhere not long ago digging through, I don't know, 50 cent or, or dollar bins, you know, something cheap. And I ran across um, issue one of that, which I already owned. But I went ahead and picked it up again just so I could frame it and put it up on my wall because I love the cover on that book. So, yeah, I know exactly the series you're talking about. Yeah, that's 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 a great series where it gives, you know, basically a history of the Legion, the origin of virtually every character and tells you about their powers and abilities and such. 
uh, as the the guy that uh, finances the league, their their version of Tony Stark, R.J. Brand is dying, and he reveals that, or it's revealed that one of the Legion is actually you know his offspring, and so they have to go through every one of them to figure out who is it, who it is. Do you remember who it is? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's the one you'd I mean, least expect it, it to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful, beautiful uh, story. But uh, again, that's something I read as a kid and it stuck with me. I, I probably read that story, I don't know, about 15, 20 times over the years. And uh, then, you know, I'll, I'll, I will talk about that more once we finish the whole Legion story because. Uh, yeah, I was a huge, huge Legion fan for, for years. And then I just stopped. So who's who in the DC Universe first series issue 13 pages, 14 and 15 is a two-page spread by Greg Larock and Larry Malstead. And it's not exactly this image, but it's pretty damn close. And, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's funny here because if you look on this one, Dream Girl looks more like Kellyanne Conway than Dream Girl. She's not looking good there. <laughs> in Burns' image, that is. She uh, she generally did look really good in the Legion title, though. Yeah, yeah she she was one of those. Yeah, yeah. There there was a there was a healthy amount of titillation factor in Legion, which I think helped make it as popular as a book as it was, because you know there were a lot of teen boys reading that book. The and, uh, the Da Vinci aping that uh, Giffen did in the Darkness Saga with uh, Shadow Lass particularly was uh, very. Yeah, I remember that one. Looking at that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, does anybody got anything else? I think we can wrap this up. I think. Uh, that I is all I got. <laughs> I think Paul's wanting to uh, head off. But... I'm, I'm ready to go into a coma. <laughs> well, right, Brian, you know, wanna... we, we used to record it like, we used to start recording at like 1230 when I first started doing this with Scott because he was working some sort of weird hour shift. But I don't know how I managed that. <laughs> well, we recently talked to Andy about coming on the show, and he's like, I said, what time do you usually record with Paul? And I think he does uh, 6 o'clock your time or something like that. And I said, yeah. I'm, f I'm fine with that. And then Brian pointed out, well, 6 o'clock, uh, Paul's time is 3 o'clock my time. I said, well, maybe we have to adjust that. But... Yeah, Andy is not the easiest guy to schedule with for ex <laughs> just for time difference reasons. Yeah, I'm sure. Anyway. Well, Scott, you want to bring us out? Um... Take us out. <laughs> how do you want us? How do you want it to go out? Oh, did Just I say? Tell us where we can find you, and uh, then we'll, uh, you know, put all our other stuff at the end. All right. So join us next time uh, here on the same show, uh, a third degree burn, for the next chapter of this, which will cover uh, Action Comics number five ninety one, Superman versus Superboy. And then after that, join us back on Back to the Bins for the final chapter of the story, which will cover Legion of Superheroes, Volume 3, Number 38, The Greatest Hero of All Time. Well, at least I think that's the name of the story. I'm going to look at it again. <laughs> Where the hell is it? <laughs> Let me see. I might have to say that again. I think that was the name of the... 
on the cover, right? I think so. Greatest hero. Yeah, I was right. trying to look it up, but oh, I keep greatest getting hero of them all. That was it. Greatest hero of them all. Ah. <laughs> yeah, you say greatest of all time. They're just gonna keep trying to say Tom Brady. <clears throat> no. All right, goodbye, guys. <laughs> Is that a sports person? Yes, from sports ball. Okay, more sports ball. Great. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Always. Uh, Paul, Paul, do you want to hawk any show? Uh, just you can find me on the Two True Freaks Network. Um with Scott and usually Bill on Back to the Bins. And then I have Is It Yours and Listen to the Prophets. Excellent. Scott, how about you? You got anything else to hawk? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. It's Superman. Faster than a bullet. Stronger than a diesel, leaps tall buildings in a bound. Isn't a bird? No. Isn't a plane? No. What is it? It's Superman. In the thick of danger, helping friend or stranger, wherever evil can be found. Isn't a bird? No. Isn't a plane? No. Who is it? For listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T W O T R U E F R E A K S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three R D D E G R E E B Y R N E and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn spelled with the number three and Burn spelled B Y R N E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. 
Until next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.